somehow. Because uh, it's pretty fundamental. And this was, this was Rav Hirsch's sort of summary of this bracha altogether, of Gavuros, strength. It's interesting, it's called Gavuros and not Gavura. Like powers. Pa- not powers, powerfulnesses. That's it. Not, that would come out sounding all wrong. Powerfulnesses, like different examples of Gavura. In Gvuros, we contemplate the all-conquering omnipotence of God. Here, too, we learn that unshakable trust which enables us to withstand all the vicissitudes of life and even death itself, and which enables all those pervaded with the genuine fear of God to unlearn the fear of human power or natural force, and in its place to acquire the skill of passing calmly and serenely through all the trials that are part of daily living. That was the summary of what Gavuros achieves. And that was we and because of that we spoke about what that means. That what that Yerushamayim, the the fear of God. I think we talked about seeing seeing your littleness in his bigness. Something like that. Seeing your littleness in his greatness. And I had this piece of a quote from the end of his um, essay on Yura, where he talks about the process of achieving Yura. Yerushamayim, by seeking Hashem in everywhere and everything that's around you. And when you do that, then everywhere and anything around you also will then speak of God to you. And in that, you see him everywhere. And you are aware that he sees you everywhere, which is that Yira related to seeing. Um and know that he is everywhere present to you in his all-embracing greatness. And that this also holds us back from sin because we have constant awareness that he is there. Okay, the second bracha of Shemona Esrei is called Gvuros and it corresponds to Yitzchak. Right, so we had this unfolding where Everything in the first bracha was Avraham, but it was in terms of also Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, even though it's all summed up as Avraham. Kind of reminiscent of that idea how everything in the Torah really is base, and everything in the Torah is in the word Bereshis, and everything in the Torah is in Bereshis Barlokim, and everything in the Torah is really within the whole book of Bereshis, or, or that first, in that first section of Bereshis, right, the creation of the world, which is a summary of the whole history of the world. And, you know, everything really unfolds out of the very beginning. It's all really packed in there from the beginning. So it's a little bit like that with Shimon Asrei, where we have Avraham is the first bracha, and the qualities that went with Avraham as an av, and Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are all avos, which means there's something about them that's uniquely new, that they initiated, or it wouldn't be called an Av, and yet somehow they also all unfold out of Avraham. He is, in fact, the father of Yitzchak and the grandfather of Yaakov, even though each one is an Av independently and not only is an outgrowth. It's not purely the outgrowth, because then they would just both be more forms of chesed or weaker forms of chesed or something, right? Intensifying or weakening, but they aren't. There's something different about them, which makes each of them an av independently. And yet, they didn't just crop up in three. It's not Adam, Noach, and Avraham. Or, you know, it's, it's Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So there is an unfolding of this, these qualities that it's coming out from Avraham, and at the same time, each one is separate. So the second bracha then becomes the bracha of Yitzchak, even though he was mentioned already in the first bracha. And Yitzchak is associated with Gevura as a quality. We know this is just sort of a blanket statement taught to us by Chazal, and, you know, but also because Gevura is restraint and discipline of the self. Gevura is boundaries. Gevura is boundaries that give shape so that creative growth can happen. So it's not the creativity itself, and yet the creativity itself does not take any sort of form or shape without the gvura, without some sort of boundaries or limits or walls or outlines or something, right? Canvas, like if you don't have any canvas, then all the great ideas in your head, and even if you have a lot of paint, there's not really anything to do with it. It doesn't 
doesn't create any sort of picture until you give it a shape or a form. And Yitzchak is associated with Gvura on, on many levels, but one of them is, of course, the Akedah. Yitzchak is the one who gave himself over. Akedah's Yitzchak is the binding of Isaac. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. He said, tie my hands in case I move. Mm-hmm. Right? Tie me tighter because I don't want to move and mess up. Yitzchak has the ability to say, I need to be held down or I need to hold myself and restrain myself because in this way I can serve Hashem and in this way everything can take shape. Okay, so Rabbi Lef, Rabbi Lef says, we had this idea that the brachos in Shemona Esrei, right, why are there 18 brachos in Shemona Esrei? And there were all these different reasons. But this is the first time I saw, I mean, it makes sense, really. Like, it should have been obvious, but I never followed it. He says, one of those was 18 times that Hashem's name is mentioned in Perik Chavtes of Tehillim, which is Havu Lashem Bnei Eilim, Havu Lashem Kavod Vaoz, Havu Lashem Kavod Shemo. Okay, so, let's pull that out. We say it in uh, Kabbalah Shabbos. He says, well, each bracha actually corresponds to an, one of those names. It's not just that it's there 18 times and there are 18 brachos, but there's an actual correlation, bracha for bracha, with each of the names that as it's used in the Parak of Tehillim, which would actually be a really interesting shear to like figure that out and or find out how he corresponds them. But anyway, for this one, he says, so this bracha is the second bracha and it corresponds to the second use of Hashem's name, which would be Havula Hashem Kavod Vaoz. Give to Hashem, Hav is, is giving, which is why Rav Dessler says, what's the source of Ahava, love? Hav, giving. Havul Hashem, give to Hashem, and it's interesting that it's that word that that's love, right? Kavod, respect or honor, vaoz and might. Um, kavod we talked about in Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus Olam actually. Kavod, honor, respect. I think with um, you know what? I'm not even going to say that because I'm not sure how it plays out here versus anywhere else. Okay. Honor and strength. Now, Gvura, then there's a connection be- between Gvura, which is might or power or strength, and the Kavod Vaoz, which is <laughs> every time every time I say Kavod Vaoz, it's a little bit of a problem. I hear something else too, which is the old sort of Lithuanian joke. That every community has its way of pronouncing things, so. And every traditional accent, like, I don't know what you call it, like uh, minhag for how to pronounce the words, has its pluses and its minuses. And you can bring proofs of it from the Torah. Why, why, in what way it's more correct than all the other traditions, and in what way it's maybe not. So even though we usually say, like, yeah, the, like the Yemenites seem to have hung on most tightly, it's probably the closest to the way Hebrew was pronounced, say, I don't know, in the desert or something like that. But um, nonetheless, there are things that they don't distinguish between exactly in the same way that, like, you can't explain it grammatically. So then it causes some problem of its own. Okay, but, but Ashkenazim and, and, you know, when you have Lithuanians and you have Hasidim and you have, you know, the old joke about, they, you know, Hasidim. Galicianers, right? They'll read the Megillah. Vayhibi meyachashverosh. Hiyachashverosh. She is Achashverosh because they read the word who is he. You know, you have like all the funny ones. So the Lithuanian one is Kavod Vaoz because they say Kavod Vaez, which sounds like you should give God like chopped liver and a sheep, like, <laughs> and a goat. Kavod Vaez is like whatever. Every single time I read now, Havul Hashem Kavod Vaoz, somewhere in the back of my head, there are like these platters <laughs> with the goats and the liver and the, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that's sadly, despite my Lithuanian background, is a little bit of an argument against using the very, very traditional Lithuanian accent for anything very serious. I say that Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, um, when he read Shema, 
which has to be read exactly and correctly. He was Lithuanian. He was, he was a real Slobodker. He did not actually use the real Lithuanian, Lithuanian pronunciation. He said it probably more close to what we're accustomed to um, because otherwise it might not be, he might not fulfill the mitzvah properly. They said that one of the, a chassid came to him and, and heard this and said, so how dare you suggest that my Rebbe has never said Shema correctly? Okay, his Rebbe obviously wasn't Lithuanian, but had yet a different accent, like a Hasidish accent. And Rabbi said, Chas Hashem, I've never suggested such a thing. I'm sure he's actually very careful to say it correctly. <laughs> In other words, that doesn't mean he's saying it the way you're saying it. <laughs> he's probably also careful not to say it the way he says everything else, just like I'm careful not to say it the way I might say everything else. Okay, that was complete, complete tangent. This bracha is identified with Yitzchak Avinu, who's the, who represents the quality of Gevura self-control, and mostly, in particular, when he was bound on the altar of the Akedah. And the Medrash says, it quotes the Pirkei to Rabbi Eliezer, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know, I'm trying to think if this is the same source of the Medrash we saw with Mogain Avraham, that when Avraham was thrown into the fiery furnace and Hashem saved him, that the Malachim said this bracha, Baruch Ato Hashem Mogain Avraham, right? Praising God, who is the shield of Abraham. And the Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer says that when was this bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem Mechayi HaMesim, excuse me, first said. The Mechayi HaMesim was also first said by Malachim. It's very interesting, like that this, I don't know if this is going to follow through yet. It would be interesting to see if like, was all, were all of these brachas originally said by Malachim? I'm not sure what the concept is. Okay, it's not, we well, it doesn't mean we heard it. Okay. Oh, like how do Chazal know? That could be passed down in Torah Shabbat Peh. So Moshe, you know, can hear, learn it from Sinai or from the Malachim. When he was at Sinai, there were other things he heard from the Malachim, right? Like Baruch Shem. So that, that's not such a difficulty. But, and it's not even a difficulty to say that they said it first because everything that comes down fully expressed into this world has to pass through different spiritual stages to get here. But it's still a fascinating concept that this bracha, Baruch HaTo Hashem, HaMesim, blessed is Hashem who revives the dead, that they said that when Yitzchak's soul separated from his body at the Akedah and Hashem resurrected him, right? Because when, when Avram lifted his hand and then started to drop it at the Akedah to slaughter Yitzchak, which he ended up not doing, his soul left, Yitzchak's soul left him, and he was revived. Right? So there's all kinds of things that come out from that, right? We've come across this idea before that that was what happened with Yitzchak, right? That he was revived. So... Um, he could never leave Eretz Yisrael because he was a pure carbon. And the Rivka, when Rivka came to meet Yitzchak, says she suddenly like covered her face with a veil. Right? Which means that it wasn't a situation where she otherwise would have had her face covered. And usually you want to meet somebody, you uncover your face. You don't cover your face to meet somebody. But apparently, one of the explanations is that he had, he had only just sort of come back from this experience fully. That it was not an immediate, it wasn't like, oh, he can't, he was revived and now he's just back to normal. He was back in a whole new level. He was a whole different kind of person. And the whole experience of Yitzchak and Rivka, like their relationship as much as it's described, is not described so much. He seems to have lived on like a different plane to a great extent, especially at the second half of his life. <laughs> because he had really gone through something very unusual and unique. And that that's what the Malachim said. They said, Baruch Hashem HaMesim. It's also sort of the first case of Tzchias HaMesim, probably. There are many since then, oddly enough, but he's the first. Hmm. It's funny how, um, it's one of many examples. You know, there are different religions that will use different sorts of wonders, alleged or whatever, not usually very well witnessed, to say that somebody has some kind of divine powers. And yet, if you look through Torah, there's a lot of this stuff went on, but nobody goes around worshiping people. You know, we don't worship Elisha. We don't worship, you know, he also revived somebody. We don't worship Eliyahu and Avi. He's an Avi. I mean, that's amazing. That's awesome. We have tremendous respect, but that doesn't make him a god, right? And people were very careful to make it clear, you know, well, this is Hashem did this, and I'm a Navi. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of examples of things like this, all these wonders and things that happen. I mean, even in the time of the Gemara, there are quite a few cases where they would bring people back from the dead. And um, it was notable enough that it might be mentioned in the Gemara, 
and probably extremely notable for the families of the peoples involved, mm -hmm. but not notable enough that, you know, anybody has compiled these together into a special section on, you know, we don't call the names out of the people who, who performed these wonders in any way. And in fact, if anything, what they're famous for is their Torah teachings, and it's almost incidental that they happen to revive somebody. Okay. Now, I want to come back to this other idea and first move to a different one. Okay. There's something interesting about this Gevura, because Gevura then, which is associated with Din, and we've talked about Din and boundaries and limitations, and I would say that um, probably when we think about Din, that's not the nice parts to think about. That's like the not such nice parts to think about, as comp compared to like Chesed, <laughs> okay? Um, but if we read this bracha, Hashem Hashem is the, the mighty source of all strength to the world. Who revives the dead. You, you are the one who revives the dead. Great in salvation to save. And then we add a comment about the rain. Either rain or dew as appropriate to the season. Sustaining all life with chesed, reviving the dead with tremendous amounts of compassion. It doesn't sound very strict. <laughs> we just said, is with chesed, supporting those who are falling, healing those who are sick, freeing those who are uh, imprisoned or tied up, and keeping his word, his promise to those who sleep in the dust. None is a master of forces, as Hashem is. None is comparable to him. The king who makes die and makes live and sprouts, causes to sprout the salvation and is faithful to revive the dead. So it's a little hard to know how to read it because um, it's hard to know which direction is the point over here. It sort of sounds like chesed, really. And to see that it's din, we almost have to like look closer and say, oh, okay, well, you revive the dead, so they were dead. And support the falling, so they're falling in the first place. I mean, not, not you, right? And, healing the sick, so we're talking about sick people and freeing the prisoners so they're in prison, it's sort of like they're only hinted to. And what we're talking about with regards to the Gevura is the salvation. So what does this tell us about the Gevura? And I think this is something that we've talked about in the past, but this bracha brings it out and brings it out in, in, a, in a deeper way, a much deeper way than before which is this. I'm going to actually, what I'm going to do is, is change the order of these pages. Because I found, I'm so excited, because I finally got this book. It's not holding, I mean, it's somewhat holding together, but it's a Shar HaShemayim. So it's a sitter with a commentary of the Shla. which turned out not to be so easy for me to find. But in this sitter, the commentary of the Shla. Here's how he describes this bracha. And looking back at what Rav Hirsch said, you'll see that the approach is similar in its, in its own way. Okay? Bracha zohi bigvura. This bracha is with respect to gvura, might. And might is, might is might. I mean, most of the time we walk around not thinking about it, but when somebody realizes... You know, if there's anything going wrong with their heart or with their lungs or with the environment or with, then all of a sudden we realize how mighty might is and how small we are. This bracha is about kvura, omnam. However, or in truth, 
He gvura mesuka. It is very sweet might. It's just such an interesting combination of words. Gvura mituka, right? Gvura mesuka, poelas hatovos. It is, what is gvura? It's, what is gvura, at least gvura mesuka? Sweet gvura. It is that which activates all that is good. Gvura is that which activates goodness. Lihizgaber al haklipos and is able to conquer all that is negative. So that, that's actually two parts, right? The first part is that the gvura itself is the activator of the tov, meaning the tov would not come into expression without the gvura, wouldn't take shape. But furthermore, the gvura conquers down anything that would prevent the chesed from being able to happen or the tov from being able to happen. Which is why this bracha talks about chayim and chesed and everything positive. In other words, what it's talking about here is gvura that is necessary for chesed. Or, let's put it this way, yeah, okay, gvura necessary for chesed. When we talked about chesed and ahava, right? Love was in feelings and chesed was in deeds. For the chesed to become a deed, for, for the ahava to become a chesed, there's a gvura that's required to go with it. So what are examples of that? So the, the prime example is the creation of the world, that the world is olam chesed yibane. The world is created with, it built out of chesed. Hashem wanted to create the world, and the Kabbalists describe that process as a form of tzimtzum, or with the spheros, right? In other words, that there has to be a restriction, because infinity, part of the definition of being infinite, is never changing, and infinite, like going on forever and ever. For there to be space within the infinite for something that is different, <laughs> which is a paradox, really. Okay, so for that which is finite to exist, there has to be some sort of boundary, some kind of restriction. So that's Gevura, mm -hmm. right? Ezehu Gibor, who is mighty, Hakoveshes Yitzro, one who can conquer his it, inclination, is such a bad word because it's so mild. A Yetzer is a force powerful enough to shape you and shape your behavior. That's what Yetzer means. It's, a, it's an emotional force, it's emotional drive, powerful enough to shape your behaviors. A person is mighty who can, who can control that. Okay? There's control that's necessary in order to make room for other people. If you want to give and give and give, there has to also be control necessary to make room for the other person or you overwhelm them. You don't leave room for them to have their own personality, to have their own expression, to have their own self, right? Rav Hirsch talks about how the greatest chesed is chesed that has some kind of limit to it. So when I, he brings that with Avraham doing chesed by finding a son, uh, finding a wife for his son Yitzchak, he didn't say just find any night, the, the quickest girl you can find, whoever you can find nearby, let's bring her so we can do the chesed right away. He said go find a girl with certain qualities. Because that's a much bigger chesed than just matching him up to anybody who's nearby. Chesed with boundaries. And we talked about examples of, you know, you turn on a garden hose, right? And, um, well, one thing is, of course, the force. The more you limit, you restrict the outlet, the more powerfully it comes out. But we gave an example of if you lay it down in the driveway, so you get a lot of wetness, but no actual usefulness out of the water. But if you put a little wall, you know, six inches high around the driveway and you turn on the hose, you'd have like a wading pool. You'd have something that takes shape. It can grow up, not only out. This is also the quality of Gavura being able to bound and restrict and give shape and allow for growth and allow for things to have a form in the physical world. They require boundaries and outlines and shapes. So the Gavura which activates poeles, it, it brings into reality the tov. That is this bracha of gavura. It's the gavura that makes the tov become a reality. Now, 
there's something then that that tells us about how we read this. What, one thing that this bracha tells us is that all the parts mentioned are part of this gavura. So providing for living creatures, that's because they need, they get hungry, right? Reviving the dead, well, they need that because they're dead. Supporting those who are falling, well, they need the support because they're falling. Okay. So we've talked about this before. Some of these are specific examples, like Matir Asurim, where we had it in Brachos, right? The idea that also the struggle and also the difficult situation is part of the chesed. It's part of what Hashem is doing for us. But I think that this understanding that the Shla is telling us about what this Gevura is, Gevura Mesuka Poela Satovos, what he's telling us is that also those second parts, the parts that are the difficult parts, those are the Gevura Mesuka Poela Satovos. Meaning you could not say that Hashem provides if not for the fact that creatures got hungry. You couldn't say that Hashem supports if not for the fact that people fall. You couldn't say that Hashem heals if not for the fact that people get sick. And so on, and so on, and so on. It's not just, look, it's all really from Hashem. And it's that those things which we experience as painful and bad and frightening are actually the gevura that is necessary in order to create the space for Hashem to do for us. They are a holding back temporarily, temporality being one feature of creation, of holding back of the infinite so that things become finite, like time. Okay, Part of the fact that there is time and something is temporary is a creation of need need that can be filled. This is part of the holding back of the infinite to leave room for creation. This is Gevura Mesuka Poela Satovos, which if we look back to Rav Hirsch, who uses such a different language, right? Here's one of his examples. If God is our shield, then we need fear nothing, not even death, for God is mightier than death. He awakens even the dead to renewed life. He is abundantly powerful to create new, vigorous, true being in life at any moment. It is his almighty power that acts to preserve the living and bring new life to the dying and dead. This is the opening for it. That's why it goes hand in hand together. The fear of his omnipotence and how powerful he is is also the source of unshakable trust that allows us to pass through all of these tribulations and even death calmly. Because all of it is part of a process of chesed. And we mentioned this previously, that gevura is not a separate sphera from chesed. All of the, all of the spheros that come out, the different midos, chesed, gevura, teferis, they all come out from chesed. It's not that chesed is first, and then there's this other thing. Chesed is olam chesed yibane. And from that, in the, act, the actuation of that is in stages as gevura and then teferis, which means that gevura is a function of chesed. It serves chesed, and it is a function coming out from the need for, from chesed itself. Okay. So that, that is really the shla. Gevura mesuka poelas hatovos. Sweet might that activates the tov. Mm-hmm. All right. Now he says there are three tchios. Tchia being, what's the best word to use for this? Revival? Tchia is giving life. There are three cases of giving life in this bracha. So... Um, I didn't, I had a little bit of a question about how it seemed that he counted them. The first one is Mechaye Meisimato, Rav Loshia. The next one is Mechaye Meisim Berachamim Rabim. And the third is Melech Meimisu Mechaye. And then we said there was a fourth one, which is, 
but the truth is then it says so I'm not exactly sure and the way that he described it, I'd have to go back and study it again to understand and it could be that there's another passage afterward that explains it more Okay, but this nonetheless follows the same idea that he started with about how the gvur is the source of the chesed Okay, so I want to give you the examples he says they correspond to three types of gvura, or three descriptions of gvura. The first one is atagibor. You, Hashem, like speaking directly, atagibor. You can be described as gibor. In other words, sort of speaking directly to that quality of gvura, referring to the attribute itself. And then le'olam, to the world, is describing the impact of Gvura on the world, which is Din. And the name of Hashem, which actually over here is not yud Hey vav and Hey, even though we pronounce it the same, you could not, you could almost not notice, it's the name of Adnus, of being an Adon, master, right? So that's the Malchus, that's the kingship ruling over us. Okay, so he says that opening, Atogi Bor Le'olam Hashem. Those three each speak to a different aspect of Tchiyas HaMesim. The first element of Tchiyas HaMesim is, I really, I have a bit of a question about it, but okay. I don't understand exactly how he teases it apart, which is totally legitimate that I don't understand the Shlach. The first aspect is the aspect of rain. The Gvura, it's called Gvuros Kishamim. <laughs> the might, the powers, the, the might of the rain. And that is referring to the quality of Gevura. It's the Midah of Gevura. And then he breaks each one down further afterward. Hashem executing judgment on the world, or at least judging the world, the Din, is a reference to Hashem providing food for all creatures, each one according to its needs. And the third, and he, he brings Psukim that show how each of these is related to Gevura and Din. And the third is referring to Trias Hamesim itself, the one that we would think of, like souls coming into bodies. So he says there's three kinds of providing life. One is providing rain, one is providing food, and one is providing souls into bodies. Now, I want to go back. Rabbi Leff references a Gemara in Tainus. There are four keys that Hashem does not entrust to an agent. Right? The key to Parnassa, the key to childbirth, the key to rain, and the key of Tchiyas HaMesim. And then you have this whole question with Eliyahu and Elisha, they borrow it, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. All right. Those are, three of those are now referred to here. Okay, I don't know where the fourth one is. I just don't. I don't understand exactly how it correlates. It could be it's the fourth Mason that's here, but why the Shla didn't mention it, I don't know. Okay, so we have the rain. The rain is referred to in So that's one kind of Mason It's one of the keys which God reserves only for himself. This is not an area where people are messing around. It's only in his hands which is an aspect of Gevura, right? When that all-conqueringness, okay? The second one is provision of food, and that's Michalkel Chaim Bechesed. Michalkel, Kalkala, is Parnasa. So providing the food. And Michaim Esim Atarav Lahoshia, Michaim Esim, this is what I don't know, the Michaim Esim Barachamim Rabim versus Melech Memisu Michaim, I don't know. One of those is Tchiyas HaMesim that we know of, and one of them probably is childbirth, which maybe the confusion is because they're the same concept right. of putting a soul into a body of a person. So it's just time-based, whether it's <laughs> whether we call it birth or death, but it's really the same general idea. Okay. Now, the fundamental principle over here, which applies to all of these, is this. In defining Tchiyas HaMesim, he says, what's Tchiyas HaMesim? 
Now understand triasamesim, you have to understand what chias is, living. If you want to know what it means to put life back where it was missing, so what is living? So he says, well, chias, animating, giving life to, uh, animating in the literal sense, not drawing pictures, okay, is a hispashtus hahashpa ha'elyona, the asifas hahashpa, is when Hashem unfolds and releases influence, chesed, tov, from above, and it is collected or received by something below. The receiving of chesed is chios, is life, which is a very deep concept on many, I mean, it's probably deep because it's Kabbalistic also, but I think even within our own shallow depths, there are people who make you feel like they're giving you life. It's not just because of how they give. It's how they give so that you can receive it. Because life is not just the giving. Life is also the collecting of the hashba, the receiving it. It's not enough to collect if nobody's given it, but it's not enough just to give if it hasn't been collected, which I think by itself may be part of the secret of this bracha. Why this bracha, why the it's one aspect of din being necessary for chesed, a necessary function of creation, and, it, and being a form of chesed. Because what the din does is it creates the vessel by creating boundaries in which it can be collected, right? You've got your garden hose out in the driveway. Nothing's being received and collected. If you've got a rain barrel, now you can collect something. Mm-hmm. But also the, the making of holes within people of need in the world is the way in which we now become vessels to receive. Okay, everything okay? The phone never rings, so that's why I'm worried. Also making of a need. <laughs> She's going to go take care of it. Yeah. Okay. So the fact that we have need. Now, this is something Rav Hirsch talks about in the 19 letters. Wondering where the copy is of the 19 letters. I think it's in the fifth letter. He defines Olam Chesed Yibana. The world is created with Chesed, mm-hmm. as everything in the world is created with needs. Nothing is created to be fully self sufficient. Nothing. Mm-hmm. No animal, no plant is fully self sufficient. Everything requires contributions from other parts of creation, and everything contributes to others. So every plant, you know, adds nutrients into the ground, whether it's during its lifetime or in decomposing. Everything contributes to the development of other creations and necessitates contributions from other creations. And he says, this is olam chesed yibone. Now we're finding out this is the, this is the definition of life. This is the spiritual definition of life as well, is a releasing of chesed, but also a collecting of chesed, a gathering in of chesed. Okay, this is rather mind-blowing. Okay. He said, siluko mimenu, the releasing of that, the releasing of the gathered up hashba is what we would call death. So just the putting together, you know, if somebody would, you know, like now they're culturing meat, right, in a in, in laboratories, right, to try and create vegetarian meat. Mm-hmm. They start with a few cells of maybe actual meat. Mm-hmm. But the concept is that if you can keep on culturing and cloning and, and making it go, then you don't have an animal and you didn't kill anything, and it's a controlled environment, and maybe you could do it without any cholesterol or something. But basically what you would have is something that is equivalent in every way to meat and yet is not meat. So let's say you could do that with a human body. Because certainly you can clone human cells at some stage. So let's say you could clone them up and what you would end up with is actually look like a whole body. We wouldn't say that the person had died even though they were not alive, right? He says, what we call death is the releasing of the gathered chesed. That's death. This, by the way, also explains some of the things we learn about tuma, right? That tuma is a result of lost life or life potential. It's a mini death. 
It's it's in this vacuum of the release that the, that tuma is created. That's where tuma is. Okay. So the idea of rain being a trias hamesim. Why is rain a trias hamesim? So we've learned it in terms of like because it melts down the seed. The rain, that moisture in the earth, is what decomposes the seeds so that they can grow. Um, but he says it's also that we could describe, and he brings proof from verses, we could describe earth as dying if it rains and then it doesn't rain. If there's rain first, that gives life to the earth. But then if the rain is held back and isn't responsive to the earth, so to speak, then that would be a death of the land, and therefore the rain is a kind of triasamesim for the earth, which also fits in in an interesting way with many of the things we've seen over time about the role of earth, I'm, the role of earth in creation. It's like a silly thing to say, but the sort of connection between earth and people in terms of a lot of things that are going on in history. Um, Okay, this idea of melech memisumechaye, which I think is based on a pasuk, ani amis ve'achaye. It's a pasuk, Hashem says, I cause death and I give life. Um, Chazal say, with the same mida that I cause death, I cause life. And in fact, there's this concept that the malach amavis, when he's done with his job of killing people, in the end, not, you know, when there's no more people that need to die, the Malach Amavis will also be the Malach of Tchiyas That it's the same, with the same tools and the same midah of din, this midah of gvura, it is the source of death. It is the midah of death, but it is also the same midah of life. Okay. Which means kind of putting it all together, <laughs> this whole series of ideas in the shla. That this bracha of gvuros is mechaye hamesim, is what it's describing is not death, and is not life. It's life via death. It's life by means of death, which is really the whole world. It's everything about the way that the world has been created to be. Even the fact that if we had a big picture, we would say that a person is much more alive in the next world than in this world. That's a much more intense form of living. But the way to get there is through this world. So even though it's a risky thing coming through this world, because before you come into this world, you don't mess up. <laughs> you can't accomplish, but you also can't blow it. But this is part of Hashem's chesed. That Hashem, this concept, we could never say it on our own, the idea that Hashem created the world in order to give to us, to people. Hashem created the world in order to give. It means he doesn't have it in for us. He didn't send us here to mess up so that we'll have such a terrible life in this world or the next world. He sent us here in order to give us a greater life, a greater chesed. Mm -hmm. But that happens by passing through this life. And this life is a life where there's need and there's sickness and it's a world of, you know, it's a neshama being trapped. I mean, the neshama itself is trapped over here in this world where the body keeps messing. It must be terribly frustrating. It's like difficult to imagine like how frustrating it is for our own souls to have to be stuck. It's like stuck with a partner, you know, like this. It's like the, the, you know, the straight, clean, sober police officer who's stuck with the drunk partner, you know, and like they're handcuffed together. And how are you supposed to get through this one? The Shama's like really stuck. And yet, Hashem sent it as the greatest chesed. This is the chesed, and this is the process of the earth in general. And therefore, chesed is the reason that kavura exists. Every case in this bracha, <clears throat> probably in general in the world, but certainly in this bracha, are brachos that come through Yisurim. 
No brachos to come to Yisurim. Being saved, being freed, right? We got that Yitzias Mitzrayim. It's the greatest event ever. We taught everything refers back to that, at least in all of human history until now. Everything goes back to Yitzias Mitzrayim, but it required being in Mitzrayim. Right? It's brachos that come through Yisurim. It's essentially tov me'od. Hashem gets to the end of the sixth day. It's tov me'od. It's tov by means of me'od. Me'od is, that's the Yitzhahara. That's the Malach HaMovis, right? That's the Satan. That's what Chazal say. That's what the word me'od refers to. Me'od is effort. Tov me'od is tov that's created through, that's partnered with effort. <laughs> They're together now. Up until now, it's just been tov. Everything Hashem created is tov. Now we created man, now it's tov me'od. <laughs> now it's really, really good. Very good, right? How did that happen? It, now it's worse. I mean, if you look at everything, you know, in the, every environmentalist would tell you that the creation of man is the worst possible thing that could happen to the planet. Because, you know, but the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says everything is good. And Tov, Tov, right? Everything he sees he did was good. And then he creates man. Now everything he made is moved to a new level of goodness because it's Tov Me'od. It's Chesed together with Gvura. Really, this is the prototype of man's existence in the world because... Go back to an old friend here. Right. The heavens and the, the earth and the heavens and all their hosts were completed. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created, the day that Hashem created the earth and the heavens. And all of the vegetation did not yet sprout on the land, and all the grasses didn't sprout because Hashem had not rained down any rain onto the earth and there was no person to work the land. So Rashi says the vegetation was not yet upon the land because it was created but it hadn't yet appeared. Why had it not yet appeared? It's just sort of lurking there under the surface of the earth. They were waiting. All this vegetation is, is waiting because there's no rain. So it can't grow. Why is there no rain? Because there was no human. There's no rain because there's no human. The human will work the land. Okay? The Adam Ayin La Vodasa Adama. There was no human to work the land. What's the connection? Why do you have to have a human to work the land in order for there to be rain? Because so long as there's no human who's trying to work the land, there's nobody to appreciate the goodness of the rain. It's a whole new level, right? And when Adam came along, the Yada Shahim Tsorech Laolam. And he understood deeply, he knew that there was a need in the world. You hear the theme here. His palalalehem, he davened for it. <laughs> okay, but, but you realize the process here? It's being held back until he can realize that there is a need. And not only that there is a need, but that it is good. You know, if it were raining when he was created, if he had been created not in Ghanaian, but in Scotland, he might have thought rain was bad. <laughs> right? If he came around in Seattle, be so excited when it stopped raining, you might daven for it not to rain. And not understand that this rain is very, it's tov me'od, right? He won't understand that without rain, nothing grows. So rain, which is very uncomfortable and is described as one of the gvuros, and Chazal say that a day of hard rain is like a, is, can be as difficult as a day of judgment, 
It can be a really tough thing. And yet, it's necessary for things to grow. That driving rain is needed for things to grow. And so it didn't happen at all until there was someone who could understand there's something missing, there's need. I see there's need, so I daven for Hashem to fulfill the need. And when it's fulfilled, then I appreciate how good it is. That's the story of this bracha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the story of the world, or at least the story of man's role in the world. Mm -hmm. I, I had not even really caught on until learning about this bracha how important these words are. There was no one to recognize the goodness, to appreciate the goodness of the rain. So it's only when you see the need that you appreciate how good of a role it fulfills, because without it, there would be no growth. And, and this is the message over here, right? There's no blade of grass that grows without a malach hitting it and telling it to grow. That's matzmiach Yeshua. Hashem causes to sprout. It's talking about organic growth, mm -hmm. salvation. It needs rain. That's, that's how this world was created. It needs rain, and then things sprout. What is that little poem? Into every life some rain must fall. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure that was the point of the poet, but <laughs> the rain is how we grow. So the rain is not something bitter that we have to get through until we reach the time of salvation. This bracha is telling us the rain is what's saving us. That's what lets us grow. That's how we get, that's how the salvation sprouts, is through this process of rain, also known as sickness, also known as falling, also known as needing food, also known as being imprisoned, also known as dying. All of that together. All right. Yeah. Okay. All of that is a function of and for the purpose of chesed. Which is why this is not a prayer of request. This is part of praise. Right? The three first brachos are praise of Hashem. This is praise. It sounds like a funny praise at first. Because you're obliquely hinting, not so obliquely, to the fact that there's sickness and there's imprisonment. and there's. But it's, it's the opposite. Those hints are part of the praise. Okay. So now we can understand another interesting thing a little bit better as well, which is Rabbi Lef brings, and what is the source, that the bracha of Gvuros has 49 words. I counted them. It really does. It has 49 if you count the part about rain and dew as two words, meaning if you say morit hatal, which is not the custom for people who daven nusach ashkenaz in chutz laaretz, but in Israel it is, okay, morit hatal, bringing down dew, or, now, mashiv haruach morit hagashem is four words, but apparently morit hagashem is the key part, meaning the mashiv haruach is semi-optional to the point where, you know, you, you have to go back if you miss it. It's part of the bracha. But if you said Morit HaGoshem and you forgot to say Mashiva Ruach, you're okay. So it's those two words that count. Then you have 49 words. And he gives an explanation of the 51 as well, but that's 49 words. He says that corresponds to the 49 levels of understanding. Now this was, if we had managed to have Shir last week, can you imagine how appropriate going into Shavuos? <laughs> okay. Now the Rambam says that the 49 levels of Bina, these 49 Sha'are Bina, Bina, I don't know, uh, deep understanding. These 49 levels of deep understanding are 49 classifications of nature. And that each classification is talking about a specific group or phylum of creation and all the knowledge related to that part of creation. Which is an interesting thing. I mean, I imagine that includes also spiritual parts of creation higher and higher and higher levels. There's a spheros of seven times seven, that there are the seven spheros, mm -hmm. and each one has its seven aspects, or there's a way of thinking of it as 10, and 10 aspects, okay, and that's 49, but the 50th level is unattainable. The nun shari bina, the 50th level of, of bina, is that knowledge of Hashem himself, which we cannot have. That's 
The person cannot see that and live. That's not part of our abilities. And the bracha of Gevurost is describing Hashem providing for the world and creating the world in such a way that it is a natural world that, has, that is confining and has limitations. That's not a limitation of the world, though. That is the creation of the world. The limitations are what creates it. And so those 49 levels of creation are 49 levels, parts of the world as it is created, and that's why it's 49 words, because it's describing the whole unfolding of creation, which is the process of gvura mitoch chesed, which is why it's 49 days of counting to get to Matan Torah, which is the ultimate expression of Hashem's knowledge into the, this world. Right, that's the process of getting up the 49 levels to Kabbalah Satora. And this whole area, we're like that getting to Kabbalah Satora, and then Moshe told the people, this we did too last time, right? That Pasuk of, uh, in order that the fear of God should be on your face. Mm-hmm. That's the Yira, that's the response to the Gevura, mm-hmm. is the Yira. So this all, all of these pieces are fitting together. It's also Yitzira, Gevura is associated with the level of Yitzira, of formation, right? And that's, okay. So all the examples then are in this bracha are cases where Hashem gives through some kind of holding back. And I think that this, and this is what I want to end with, I think this helps us to understand in a new way something we talked about before, and that's why I just wanted to mention it again. You remember when we came to start talking about, and I should have looked up the original source, we started talking about Shemona Esrei. So we saw that in Devarim, I wonder if it's brought in the Rashi and Devarim, I don't know, that in Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu says to the people, you saw what Hashem did for you, Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Behanora. And that's the foundation of all of Shemona Esrei, is uh, mm-hmm. in these words of Moshe. Hagadol, Hagibor, Behanora. And many years later, different Chachamim, Daniel, right, and Yirmiyahu, they said, where is Hashem's Gevura now? When his children are, are being slaughtered and Hashem doesn't seem to be able, so to speak. He could be perceived as unable to save them. He's able, but he's not doing it, right? Where is, uh, where is the Nora? Where is the Gibor? I don't think they took, uh, maybe they also, where is the Gadol? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that went out. And the Anche Knesses, Hagadola came and said, Hain Hain Gevurosa. This, no, no, this is his Gevura. The fact that they're still alive at all, that is showing Hashem's Gevura. You thought that, you say nobody can see that Hashem is so mighty because he's not conquering these other nations. Don't you see he's so mighty, number one, because he's holding himself back, and number two, that he's keeping them alive. Yes, he let them be conquered, but by any normal, in any normal country, they would also be wiped out, or they would disappear. They'd be taken away as slaves, and that would be the end of them. Now they become Romans. And that's not what's happening over here, right? Well, not Romans, Persians. Okay, we're not up to Romans yet, over there. Okay, this is his Gevura. That's exactly what this bracha is about. This bracha is about how Hashem provides and does chesed for us through Gevura. And that that is the process of the world that we know and the process of Matzmiach Yeshua, of the sprouting, just like the trees were waiting to sprout until there would be rain, until there would be a person who would recognize the need for the rain. There's a Yeshua that's under the ground and at the le- just waiting to come through and break through the crust of the earth, waiting for people to recognize that that's a need and that it's, that it's good. And all the things that are happening that look like they're not good, that's the rain. That's what's tearing apart and melting down the shells and destroying the whole integrity of the seeds and and running furrows and flooding and all the problems, the cold and the, the gray, right? You don't see any color. You can hardly see where you're going. And all of that is really what's needed in order to sprout and develop the ground. Hain, hain, gurosa. This is, in fact, Hashem's gevura in action. That is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. 
It's not that you have to look more carefully because hidden within all these terrible things, there's a nugget of sweetness. All of this is the Gvura. That is his Gvura, and they returned it. And that, that's reminiscent, we hinted to this also on Shabbos, right, of the destroying in order to build it. Mm-hmm. Right, with the Mishkan, you take it down in order to rebuild it. And we say, but that's in the same place, but it's moving from place to place. No, because when Hashem is the one carrying you, then you're like the baby in the mother's arms. It doesn't matter where the mother walks. You're being held all the way. And that, that is, that's Gvuros. That's Ne'amanatalach Hayos Mesim. And that's what Refersh describes as, hang on, the skill of passing calmly and serenely through all the trials that are part of daily living. Right? Withstanding the vicissitudes of life and even death itself. That's what comes out of Kuros. Because it's really all good. It's not just it'll all be good and someday. It's, this is all good. We couldn't exist without it. We just, we got born after the first rain fell, so maybe we don't get that as easily. <laughs> okay.